Welcome to the Native Artist Podcast from Indigify, where every week we'll take a look into the unique stories and perspectives of Native artists. Hello, I'm Drew Michael. I'm a Yupik and Anupiak contemporary mask maker who works in wood and other organic materials. Carver and mask maker Drew Michael started his creative journey at age 13. As a youth, he struggled with identity and searched for answers through traditional art. He received guidance and training from archaeologist Bob Shaw, printmaker and carver Joe Nungatuck, and continued gaining inspiration and influence throughout his career. Drew's Yupik and Inupiaq heritage is represented in his work, which also incorporates religious icons of European Christianity. Challenging views and ideas, he uses his art to start and continue conversation on cultural issues. His masks have focused on climate change, extraction of land for profit, and individuality, finding you and understanding all parts of oneself. Drew's mask work encourages people to find healing and balance in their lives. I'm your host, Alexis Salee. Stay with us as we speak with Drew Michael. It's really cool to have you on the podcast today Thank and you. get your perspective as far as carving in 2020. And like, there isn't a lot of younger people doing this art and you have such a unique story and it's cool to be here out in Portland with you as Alaska natives and just see what you've been up to as a carver. But let's start a little bit like, um, you know, the beginning of your story and how you first got into this world. Yeah. So I didn't have a connection to my culture growing up. And I was adopted out of the culture into a home with two white parents. And my twin brother was with me. And You guys we, were adopted together? We were adopted together. And then three different sisters from different families. Two of them were related. So we have this pretty wild family from all over the state, Alaska Native mm -hmm. siblings, family members. And I had always searched, you know, for some kind of role model, a male, a man, or a some example on how I can be who I am and I didn't see it. I was always expected to be something, you know, like you're not white enough or you're not native enough. I'm a person of mixed blood. So going to all those places, I had to like realize that I am all of those things 100%. I'm 100% white, 100% native, 100% gay or straight and all the things. And being separated from my culture, I uh, didn't know a lot about my identity and where I came from. And so in 1997, I'm trying to remember now, it's been so long, <laughs> my mother made my father take me to a carving class at the University of Anchorage, Alaska. And I learned from Joe Sanungatuck and Bob Shaw. Joe's a well-known artist and mm -hmm. his brother too, Ron, who recently just passed. Uh, so we remember you, Ron. But that's when I first started this carving and it was just trying something out, something new. And I wasn't old enough to apply to school for that class. So my father had to be there and he's this, he's a, a white guy, an English guy, and he does not work with his hands. So <laughs> that class was quite interesting to, to watch my father really struggle with that 
in the end, I ended up finishing the piece for him. Wow. It was such, such a different thing for him. He didn't really connect. How old, how old were you? I was 15, 14, 15, yeah. And did you know anything about carving previously to just kind of going into this class? No, I think probably the most I ever carved was maybe with my grandfather when I was young. But then that class really opened it up, yeah. And so after that class, were you inspired after that or what happened? I was overwhelmed actually because I realized at some point that I was working in a medium and a style that had so much history and there was also a lot of lost history and I felt like there were a lot of expectations on what I needed to create. I felt like there were a lot of rules about colors and uh, even how you make a face, you know, make a mask. And, and even in the, within Alaska, we have so many different cultures and peoples. And when you look at where people come from and how that influences what they're sharing in their stories and the colors they use and the materials... I mean, it's so diverse, and the reason for using a, a mask is kind of generally the same, but it can look different. And so I felt like I needed, to, there was like this huge book that I needed to start reading. Mm -hmm. But then there wasn't, uh, there weren't, in my eyes, I didn't have the access because I had no idea what was even out there. I tried to find as many books as I could to research things, and I started signing up for programs that, you can kind of go into museums and sign up with the staff and go in and look at collections in the back of house. And then I, that's where I really learned a lot of holding an object rather than looking at it in a book or even being in the same place as an object rather than looking at it on this flat thing. It helped me understand a little bit more on how people created these objects. And then I could kind of see, you know, maybe how an object would move an appendage on a mask. And I can go from there. But I, I also spent time with elders and different teachers who have been very influential. Larry Avakana, Joseph Nungatek, of course, Kathleen Carlo from up north, Deka Keen Maynard, Perry Eaton, people from all over. When you're doing this history into this art and obviously you're learning about yourself too. And like you said, that's such a good word. It was overwhelming because it is, I think all of us have our own sort of healing journeys and getting to know our ancestral selves and who we come from. And it is overwhelming. And then it's like, hopefully you can find steps into coming back and finding who you are. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really cool to hear your story and you know, finding your way to mentors that started to teach you and just like find yourself, right? Like one of the things you told me is you found healing through masks. Mm -hmm. Yes. Masks represent transformation. I mean, they are transformation. Just the act of having a mask is transformative when you put it on because you become the other being that you are trying to embody, you know, the show and then you act it out and you become that. Sometimes you even feel it. It reminds me of when I used to be a Christian. <laughs> Remembering prayer and the power of prayer. And one thing that we used to talk about was how in prayer the Holy Spirit would enter you, you know, and guide you through. I feel like we do that with masks. We open ourselves up to that being and it, it kind of can enter through us and we become that. 
or we are that for the moment in time. And through my own process of self-acceptance and breaking down even my own perspectives that have oppressed myself, oppressing being gay or oppressing being even native or even being white, depending on where I was at. I had to get to the point where I learned to accept all of myself. Even on my arm, I have a statement tattooed. It's the reality I never lived. And it's about not living one reality because I don't live one. My existence is one reality, like physically, but I make up so many different things. I represent so many things. And yeah, I carry all those titles and the categories, but really because I have so many and I'm rich in so many of them, it kind of washes out the singularity of it. Like there's not one that really makes me me. It's like all of them together. And that is the wholeness. I can carry that wholeness when I am able to see all those parts and accept them. And in my work, I try to talk about that process and that journey of self-acceptance, you know, working within and then learning how to connect with the world around. That means other people, everything around us as spirit. So we have to be able to see that and hear it and feel it and then honor it. So yeah, masks are transformative. I could actually look at all of them in a line if I put them in a whole line and I could tell you what was going on at those particular times in my life. I mean, it's a different sort of like capturing, right? Mm -hmm. Capturing of moment, capturing of time, which, you know, societies have done in for years, whether it be carving on a rock or on a piece of wood or something. It's like somehow we're capturing parts of ourselves and our history. A couple of pieces we've talked about before. I know, obviously, as Native people, there's a lot of things that happen in our communities that are just really frustrating and hard to deal with. And you've used your art in some ways as... I don't want to say activism because a lot of times it's just like <laughs> we're just fighting for like our lands and who we are, but using your pieces to talk about like things going on with Mother Earth and oil drilling and mm -hmm. things that are happening. You told me about one piece, that gold piece. Everybody wears down then. Yeah, it's actually, I haven't shown it yet. Oh, there's so much to it. Mm -hmm. It's uh, beautiful, first of all. Thank you. And it, I actually have it in my kitchen <laughs> in my house right now, and the light hits it perfect. It just glows. But two years ago, I think, I went out to Bethel, and I was there for a gathering. I think it was Chamai Dance Festival in March or maybe another time. And when I went out there, um, Chalista's the Native Corporation. There's a couple others, too. But the organizations within that area and in that community... They've kind of built a relationship with Donlin Gold, which is a Canadian and other. There's actually there's two other partners, I can't remember, or one other partner. Anyway, they are working and have worked through permits and are starting to develop a gold mine called Donlin Gold out in western Alaska, up north, connected to the river systems. And of course, you need water to do any kind of mining so that you can flush things out and really draw out the materials that you want with chemicals. And then you get all this waste. And when I went out to Bethel, I saw the, the river where they were starting to do development so that they could, you know, ship things in and out off the river. But it kind of like angered me because I started thinking about all the people that live in that area and how subsistence is a way of life. And I mean, that's food. And there are no real guarantees with safety or anything when you are planning something like this, you may have a plan, but nothing is guaranteed. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I just got so upset and I just started dreaming about what I was going to create. And I created this piece called Everybody Wears Donlin. And it's the classic story of any development. You get a company interested and they do the tests on the lands or whatever. They figure out what they're going to try to extract. And then it's an extractive mentality. And it's about taking opportunity, taking the land, taking profit. So I titled the piece Everybody Wears Donlin because these companies move in and they just give you all this swag and then you're basically wearing it. You're wearing this like thing and all of a sudden you've been convinced and hypnotized into thinking it's great. So on the actual mask, I put, I carved my mask, the form, the face. I took a picture of it and I imposed the DNR Department of Natural Resources website. They have the whole plan for all the permits and everything. Wow. And, and I read a lot of it and looked at different parts. And there's mm -hmm. so many, um, there are a lot of plans and a lot of permits and a lot of process, but there are no guarantees. And so I took that map and I put it on, I imposed the two images. I lightened up one opacity so that you could see through it. And the map is actually on the face and the drill hole where they're going to be cutting this open pit. It's going to be huge. I made it the eyeball and I made it the eyeball because I want that mask to hypnotize you as you look at it. Because that's what capitalism does. It hypnotizes you and lures you in with the beauty of it all. And it's kind of a biblical concept now, really, because in the Bible, they always talk about idols. Don't pray to false idols and false gods. And oftentimes, there are statues of gold. So I made this piece thinking about that, and it feels like that. It feels like an idol, and those are all false, empty promises. Shiny things might be shiny, but they might not give you what you need. On the appendages, usually on a mask, you'd have tools that a hunter would use on a journey. On this particular piece, I put a hand to show false support, and I blackened it. It was beautiful um, metal. It was beautiful brass. Funny I'm using brass, right? And then I made a little wallet, and I put fake money in there. Like, you know, the false promise of money, like of jobs. And then the other one was handcuffs. And then the last was dead fish skeleton fish, the false promise of clean and protected environments. Anyway, that piece, yeah, I, I like to do work that is controversial. I don't know how I'm going to start that conversation. That's the whole point. Especially because it affects the community you're from. The whole river system, the whole area. This mine is actually very high up on the beginning of this river, so it's going to affect everything below. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Open pit mines, they just leave so much and companies are not held responsible and people are left with all the garbage. And it's just so frustrating. But I'm excited to showcase it and start a conversation. Yeah. Well, we're here with carver and mask maker Drew Michael. We'll be right back. Since the dawn of time, the salmon have returned. Compelled by instinct, they respond in the millions. A reminder that, with purpose and perseverance, we can chart the course of our future. As Bristol Bay Native Corporation has done for nearly 50 years, investing in future generations here in a place that's always been.
we are back with carver and mask maker Drew Michael. Having collaborated with traditional Alaskan dance group Bumua on many masks has allowed him to experiment with materials that allow the parts to move as a dancer moves. It's been beautiful to work on specific pieces, looking at function and distorting and bringing people to another place. And so you work with them in sort of modern but traditional storytelling. It is kind of traditional what we're doing, but it's in a modern time and it's in a modern expression. And they sing with such beautiful voices and the language is beautiful and the concepts are beautiful and it's really fun. And I think that working together with them, since we both kind of work in traditional realms, but then express in a modern way, it, I think it works and blends really well together. How do you guys come up with what your concept is going to be for what you make? Yeah, so we've done it many different ways. Sometimes Philip comes to me with like, hey, I, I was thinking I'd like to represent these three beings or this kind of story. And so I go through that process with him, thinking about colors and how it's even going to be worn and who's wearing it. And I've done masks where you have a mouthpiece, where you have like a headgear that I actually do some kind of funny things sometimes with headgear. I I take the insides of helmets for like hard hats and I, since they're adjustable. Mm -hmm. That's smart. I love it. I just attach them to the back (laughs) and they all padded and you don't, you can actually use your mouth and your mouth is free. And so you don't have all that weight. I do want to create some mouthpieces along with the headgear. From when you first started carving and getting into this work, how do you think you've developed as an artist? Like where have you seen yourself move into Yeah, that's a good question. There was the whole like, what am I doing? What is this? And Mm -hmm. then it was getting to know myself. And then it was learning how to communicate these ideas. And then also think about it on like a kind of a universal level where people connect with the ideas that I'm thinking about. But now I, I think I'm moving more into realism more than I have before. It's changing my work. And I'm playing also with our own perspective, not the perspective of the mask maker as much. And the story, I actually want to take you to another world when you wear a mask using lenses that will actually change how you see the world. And when I have a show, I want to invite a whole bunch of people and they will all wear a mask and it will be painted in some form, some fashion with different colors and Within the lenses, they're special. They're like 3D lenses. They'll change the pigment, you know, how you look at it. Wow. So any warm colors will move forward and any cooler colors move back. And I've played with that in my paintings on the masks. And if I can play with it right and really experiment with the colors in a a way, I want to take people to another place and distort how they see the world. And get them interacting. Yeah, get them interacting and maybe like think outside of what is normal what is like in front of us Mm -hmm. (laughs) or like within it right like within Mm -hmm. the mask embracing that like you say the spirit within that yeah it'll like open up another dimension like a virtual reality almost it'll feel like it but it won't Mm -hmm. really be it'll be just using light and our own eyes You know, you talked about how like your journey of being adopted out and having to reconnect to your roots. For people that are listening to this that might have a similar story and are feeling a little lost, do you have any advice in like how to sort of find your identity again as a Native person? Mm -hmm. Well, especially somebody who's been adopted, 
everything was up in the air. I had no idea about anything. Even like working at a heritage center, the Alaska Native Heritage Center is this little cultural heritage center. I worked at the Athabascan House, and that's interior people's. I thought I was Athabascan for the longest time because I had no idea. Really? You know, that the misinformation or maybe what was in my head, maybe Hmm. I told myself that or something. I don't know, but... For the longest time, I walked around thinking I was Athabascan. Wow. And Yupik, I think. <laughs> it could have been Anupiak. But then I read my birth certificate and my BIA card, my Bureau of Indian Affairs uh-huh. blood quantum document. I am a real bona fide native. <laughs> <laughs> but I I actually realized then that I was Yupik and Anupiak and not Athabascan. And I had this huge, like identity crisis at the Native Heritage Center and all these Native people were laughing so hard at me because they're like, you didn't even know what Native you were. (laughs) But I don't know. You just have to be able to laugh at all that. Like you might have such an idea, but sometimes it might be a little different. I've gone all over trying to figure out things. And what I did at that time, I had a lot of questions and I think I went through a breakup at that time. So I went out to Bethel went back to the place where I was born, like the actual land. Mm -hmm. And it was beautiful to be able to connect to that place. But not everybody has that. Did you know anyone out there? Did you know like an uncle, an aunt, like a cousin? Like how did you reconnect Uh, in that way? When I first, when I was really young, I went and connected with my foster mother, Marilyn and Peter Tony. Then my birth parents were also out there. Mm. And yeah, they still live out there. I connected with them, but I didn't really know them until I got older. Going out, I didn't know a whole bunch of people, but I knew that it was important to go back out. And I have connected more and more. And actually, I think if somebody's going to adopt or you are adopted, for me, from my perspective, I thought it was really healthy. It was an open adoption so that I had connection to my, if I wanted, to my birth parents, mm-hmm. our birth parents, because I'm a twin. I have a twin brother. I think it's important to have that openness so that if there is an opportunity for conversation or some questions, it can happen. I didn't feel totally lost in that regard, but I had to understand the value of all parts because that's part of my story. That's part of the reality I never lived. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's some things that I don't know about my family and I feel them inside of me, I think. For me as a mask maker, I asked my birth mother if there were healers in her family. And she said, no, I don't think so. And I was like, oh, interesting, because I kind of feel it. Mm -hmm. There's some things that I don't know if that's a a human thing to want to heal. I feel like when I'm doing my masks and I'm working on masks and working with people, I'm talking about this healing and this work, this transformative work. I feel like it's from my family. They've given that to me through my blood in who I am. I'm very thankful. But growing up, I also didn't know even what I liked in the sexual sense. And so I don't know that. That's I, a whole nother discovery. It's a whole nother thing. You know, there's so many transformations out of many lives. Mm-hmm. I guess I am like a cat. Catty. One of the things that I was able to do because of that open family thing is I had a dinner that I was supposed to be for (laughs) 
the nuclear family of my birth mother. We were going to have just the siblings, me, and then my twin brother gets excited and he told everyone in the family and everybody ended up coming. Oh, wow. My mothers came and all the kids and we're sitting there. And at one point, my mothers like stood up and like looked at each other, faced each other. And it was so beautiful. I felt like the universe was making this happen. Like, yeah, this is perfect. Wow. You know, like just when I had questions, I was like, I don't know, is this, is this going to be like awkward or weird? Is this going to be a good night? And mm-hmm. they looked at each other and they held each other, my birth mother and my adoptive mother, Christy and Anna. And they held each other and said, thank you. Oh, that's so emotional. <laughs> and it was like an acknowledgement and like Ugh. in all the ways. And that's all they said was thank you. And like you could just read it all right there. And I just was like, oh my God, I can't believe this wow. is happening. Like, can I fall over now? But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It was beautiful. And there's so many moments like that. And just when you think you don't know if you're doing it right, some little gem comes out like that and says, you're good. The reason why I do what I do is that First of all, I want people to be healthy and happy, but I remember what it was like not having a role model. And I'm not trying to like be everyone's role model right here, but I do want to say that when I was growing up, I didn't feel like I had an example of what I wanted to be, who I wanted to be. And I didn't see a lot of gay men out there. And so I said to myself, I want to be a role model so that I can pave the way a little, give some more access and freedom. I just want to break down these access barriers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And part of that for me is by being an example of somebody who's on the path to try to find balance and acceptance within self. You don't need to go into anything fighting, especially yourself. Absolutely. So where are you going next with your art? I guess... I kind of want to try to bring Alaska down to Portland and really share the message of the North. Climate change is real, and there are a lot of changes happening within the North especially. Just a couple degrees will change so much, especially the ocean. I think we're going to have a lot of coastal issues. Artists are wanting to talk about these things. I know we're going to always have the classic image of the coast falling away, but I think we don't even know all the impacts yet. You know, and that'll come out more and more within our art. But I'd like to share that message of, you know, the change that is happening, but then also start the conversation. What are we going to do? And I know everyone's like, we need to do this and that. There's so many different angles that we can come in at this with, but art really can be the key to have that conversation. And I've had some really hard conversations with people about things using art and I'll continue to do that. Well, Drew, thank you for opening up and sharing so much about yourself and your art. I hope you didn't cry too much. How you, <laughs> I know, you were getting me a little teary-eyed over here. Yeah, thank you for sharing about your art and your thought process. And I think it's really valuable for people to hear our individual journeys as Native people because, you know, we all have a unique story, but it, in a lot of ways, it's really similar. Mm-hmm. We really just want to connect to something and be seen and feel like people relate to us and... It's exciting to see the youth now because there's a lot of that coming up. They're thriving. Yeah. They've broke down a lot of internalized things that our generations and before have not been able to figure out. Anyway, thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. You can find out more about the Native Artist Podcast at nativeartistpodcast.com. 
www.thepodcastnetwork.com. If you're enjoying the show, please make sure to rate, subscribe, and comment. Theme music by Inuk artist Reet. Additional music in this episode from Ray Remington, Ray Zaragoza, DJ Boogie the Beat, and Samantha Crane. The Native Artist Podcast is supported in part by the National Endowment for the Arts, the Siri Foundation, supporting Alaska Native education, culture, and heritage since 1982, and Bristol Bay Native Corporation. This episode is produced by me, your host, Alexis Salih. This has been a production of Indigify. Indigify.